and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I am your host, Donna Bishop, and I'm sitting here with the beautiful Victoria Hayes. Hello. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. You're in town in Toronto from New York City. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Before we get into so many of the exciting things that have been happening with your career, I want to start at your beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about where you were born and what kind of family makeup you have? Okay. Um, I was born in Toronto and my mother is from Casablanca, Morocco. She came to Canada not speaking any English when she was young. And my father is um, Canadian through and through, British descent. And they met at the University of Toronto and uh, hence I am here. And I lived in Canada until I was 17. I um, did a degree at McMaster, actually. No, I lived here till I was 20. Did a degree at McMaster, and then instead of going to medical school, I moved to New York. So that's kind of me. I've, I'm Canadian. <laughs> Do you have any brothers or sisters? Yes, I have one younger sister who's studying to be a lawyer, and she's way taller than me. So she looks like the older one. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. My brother's taller than me and looks like the older one, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, how would you describe yourself as a little kid growing up? Um, as a little kid, I was very, very shy. I know that. I know, I remember my mother always telling me that people would think I was rude if I didn't talk to them. So I was like always forced to interact with my cousins and whatnot, but I was quite shy. Um, I always loved fashion. I was always stealing my mother's clothes and makeup and like wearing them around the house. There's a lot of pictures of me as a kid in women's heels, even though I'm like, you know, my feet are probably like five inches, like not even, um, I was kind of like reserved, I think, as a child. Um, I was put in all these activities, like I did baby ballet and like baby karate and all this stuff, but was still very like cautious child, I I guess. (laughs) Was your mom quite a, you know, fashionable person? Did she have clothes that were particularly... My mom, she's always loved fashion. You know, she's always been a fashion enthusiast. Like I was only ever introduced to it through her, but she, she made it work within her means. She was a school principal. She, um, you know, worked at the Toronto District School Board. So, um, she wasn't buying the most elaborate fashion in the world, but she certainly knew how to dress and knew how to, um, spice up outfits and knew how to accessorize and loved shoes. And so to me, her closet was the first introduction to fashion, um, because she always liked it. And, um, yeah, so she was supportive of, you know, our interest in, in dressing ourselves and style. When do you think you first had this inkling that fashion was more than just clothes to cover your body to, you know, protect us from the elements when it could be more than that? Right. Um, I think for me that started probably towards the end of junior high school, beginning of high school. And again, I think when I really do think about it, it goes back to being quite shy because I wasn't going to verbally express myself, but I was able to non-verbally express myself with clothing choices. So I had crazy outfits and I would experiment a lot with my style and my personal style. It was my first introduction to design was how I was designing myself. And it was really because I was going to be too terrified to talk. Like I was so reserved that I, this is how I would have to communicate with people. I have a really cool outfit on, but like, don't talk to me because I can't actually like keep up a conversation with you. I don't know you. So that was my first sort of foray into it as an expressive or communication tool. Um, And now I very much think of it as a form of entertainment. Like it's the joy of dressing yourself. Um, That's an entertainment value thing. 
uh, for women. Um, so that's what I try and offer with fashion. But my first introduction to it was definitely like, I have, I don't feel like I can express myself unless I really know people. So the little tidbit of information I can give you is my outfit. Can you call to mind an outfit when you were, you know, maybe in those preteen, <laughs> early teenage days that kind of exemplifies that? Yeah, probably there's a couple. Um, I remember I have an elementary school like picture, like class photo day where for years afterwards it was called like the fruit loop picture because it was like every color I was wearing like a green shirt and bright orange bell bottoms and then like a green and yellow floral vest on top. And I had a headband and it was like, it was awful, but it was every color of, and then I got called a fruit loop, like, cause for the color scheme in high school, I had a zebra print cat suit with like a bell bottom cat suit that my boyfriend at the time was like horrified by having to walk next to me in it. I also had moon boots, like the shiny gold puffy moon boots. And I remember that also being like a, could you please not wear those moon boots? And I was like, I'm expressing myself. I'm wearing the damn moon boots. Um, so there was a lot of like, you know, they were kind of, a lot of them were awful fashion choices, but they were experimental choices and quite bold. Yeah. Well, you're trying, you're literally trying different things. You're finding on, yourself. Right? Yeah. You're defining yeah. yourself. And you know, I, I, I mean, I have outfits in my past too, where I would describe them as awful, but I try to, I think we should own them. Like that's how we try things on yeah. and find our place. Right? I would have never come to who I am today had I not had, you know, the punk phase and the phase where I wore, you know, men's Nike shocks, basketball shoes. Like I had all those phases in my life and they've all kind of materialized into what I am now, which is, you know, and I, I will say in my adult life, I've tapered off quite a bit in that I don't dress so outlandishly anymore. Personally, it's more about the designs being, um, the creative expression as a woman, I've sort of calmed down, I think in my aesthetic, but I still, you know, appreciate that I had those moments where I was like taking major fashion risks because that's when you should do it. Right. Like, well, and that what you're describing that, you know, toning down of an aesthetic, I think the balance of that is more, self-awareness and confidence in, in who we are on yeah, the inside. Yeah, exactly. Now I will talk back. Like now I've, you know, compensated. I wouldn't call myself shy anymore. So it's, yeah, I have other ways of expressing myself at this point, but, um, I won't wear a zebra print cat suit unless it's like Halloween, like maybe, maybe not use, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned you did a degree at McMaster. What was your journey from your finishing high school? You went to McMaster and then something shifted and you ended up in New York. What yeah. does that look like? <laughs> well, I've had a lot of time to think about this. I was 17, obviously, when I graduated high school and I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew that I loved fashion, but in my 17 year old mind, it was way too big of a risk to pursue as an actual career. And I remember thinking this at 17, like it was already self-limiting, like you're not going to be a fashion designer. There's no possible way that would work. And I was really good at science, really good at math, very strong at academically. So I applied across the board to all sorts of arts and science programs and, you know, pre-med programs and whatnot. And I ended up getting into this McMaster Health Sciences program, which at the Excellent time was, program. and it still is very difficult to get into and, you know, a very well-regarded program. And so I was told by a couple admissions people, listen, you can always switch from science into art, but you can never really go the other way. So if you're not sure what you want to do, just start off at this most elite thing you got into. And if you hate it, you can switch out. So that was my 17 year old decision-making process was like, I do not feel strongly about becoming a doctor, but here we are. I got into this thing. So let's try it. And then 
I'm kind of the person who finishes what they start. So I got in, I, I realized very quickly that everyone there for the most part wanted to be in medicine and I didn't. Um, but I finished the, the degree and instead of minoring in something science oriented, they let me minor in fine art. And so that was actually quite nice of them because it gave me a big enough portfolio at the end of the four years to then go apply to Parsons for fashion design. And that's how I got into Parsons is instead of going to medical school, which is what everyone else I knew at the time was doing, I went and redid my undergrad in New York City at Parsons, contingent on having this portfolio of fine art that I had actually been doing on the side while I was in pre-med. So that's kind of how it, it happened. And I, I think I, when I was at McMaster, I took a couple summer courses in art and design here and there um, when the school year was out. And I had done a fashion prep course at Parsons. And I really loved it. And I had a great time. And it was super stressful, even that summer course. Like even in the summer course, you were pulling all-nighters to finish your work and whatever. But I loved it. And I came home and told my parents, like, I think, you know, I think I want to try and go to fashion school, not law school. I was, I was thinking I would just apply to law school and that's what I did. I went, replied to Parsons and yeah. Was it just a, just a pull? Like you just kind of had this feeling of this is what, like, this is what I think I'm supposed to be doing. I, I, I did on some level. I think I've always really responded to project based work. So I think what I like, uh, is being given a blank slate and some parameters to work into and then being told to come back with something. And that's essentially what fashion design is. You, you know that you have a seasonal delivery. You know that you have to you know, pick an inspiration. You know that you have to meet some targets. You know that there's some silhouettes that you must work into, but make it new and come up with something. And so it was this project-based work that I really liked more so than studying for something. Or you know, I, I knew personally that I was way too sensitive and way too emotional to put myself in a situation where I'd be working in a hospital. I always found the hospital incredibly difficult to be in. I just knew I couldn't do that. So it was more like, you're not going to be a doctor, so let's try this. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I, I will always love fashion design. The, the pull of fashion school is quite alluring. Like if you love to design clothes and there's somebody who's standing over you, like I'm going to watch what you do. You, I have a tendency to perform very well in those situations. When you were at Parsons, did you find yourself referencing your time at McMaster at all? Like even from something like the, like a discipline or were there actual courses that you were like, oh, I can yeah, partner here? I, I've always liked to parlay. Um, I mean, I've always been interested in the intersection of science and art and science and design. So I, I think I did a couple con collections that were, you know, anatomically driven or referenced literal anatomy textbooks. And I know my, my first collection at Parsons, um, I did this competition there where I had painted all these obese women um, because Jenny Seville is my favorite painter. And so I, I was into painting obese women and I took my paintings of obese women and I put them on silk and I made the skinny models wear these dresses where it was very obvious that the print that they were wearing was obese flesh. And it was that kind of way of referencing, like in one respect, this is a very, uh, you know, in fine art, it's okay to be overweight. In fashion, it's the worst thing that can happen to you, right? But I was making commentary on that. It was more so like fashion doesn't care about human health. And I come from a health background, or I, I come from a background that's literally preparing people to become physicians. So this is a huge problem for me. I don't want to be associated with this anorexia vibe in fashion. I'm going to make you wear clothing based on, you know, adverse body types or whatever at the time. And I think a lot has happened in fashion that they are much more cognizant now of health and of not portraying women in such a way that's like impossible to attain. And I just knew I didn't want to be part of that. You do fall victim to it, but 
yeah, my time at McMaster, if anything, it just gave me some perspective as well. It was like, this is no one is going to die here. The worst thing that can happen is someone loses a lot of money. That's the worst thing that can happen in fashion design. You embarrass yourself. People don't like your clothes. You don't have to go tell a family that someone didn't make it through surgery. You don't have to talk like that. That's not part of your job. So check yourself. Like you're part of the quality of life business here, not the life or death business. That's such an important perspective. Yeah. I often say we're not saving lives no, here when exactly. it comes to, you know, challenges often, but literally when you're a doctor, you are. Exactly. And I knew I did not want that kind of responsibility. This is a level of responsibility that I wanted to, you know, that I can manage. It's, it's truly just the icing on the cake of life. Like it's, it's of no, I don't think of it as this life or death thing. Before you started your line in 2017, you obviously finished, you know, design school, but you mm -hmm. also did some very cool internships. Yeah. <laughs> what were some of the key moments that really resonated with you from those internships in terms of how you, you know, applied them to your, to your own business? Right. I had an interesting run of internships at Parsons in that um, most of my internships were with really corporate companies. So I interned for Ralph Lauren and I interned for Michael Kors. That were, those are were my two biggest internship placements. Um, so spending a summer with Michael Kors collection, um, you get to be a fly on the wall and see how they put together their, you know, runway show. And I also assisted backstage with the runway show and, and, it was very interesting in that it was so far removed from what I was doing in school. Like that's a company that's at the top of the food chain. So you go from being this literally, little, yeah, you go from, you know, your class where you're 17 kids struggling to learn how to draw, for instance, and then you go spend an afternoon with like the Michael Kors who's conducting fittings and listen to him talk about what he wants to cut from the line, what he wants to keep in the line. It was interesting. It was just interesting to see like, this is down the street from you. Like you know, that's, this is happening in Midtown while you're at school, just be aware that like the whole industry is within, you know, 20 blocks of where you're standing right now. That was interesting about it. I don't think in my, in the way my business is run since I'm so tiny that I've been able to extrapolate any of these major corporate lessons to my tiny little shop, but it was just nice to see them and experience them. And then when I, when I graduated from Parsons, I'd worked for a designer who was more evening wear focused. And that was an interesting experience as well. That was a much smaller company, but still way bigger than the one I currently run. And, um, that was a, you know, if anything, I've learned more from that experience, like the timeline on how they would pass sketches when, when fabrics needed to be ordered, uh, you know, doing fittings in your studio, fixing things like that was my first introduction to professionally working. And yeah, it was tumultuous. Like everybody's like fashion is just really hard. It doesn't matter the level of company you're at. That's what you're able to learn from these internships and first placements is like, Everyone is pulling all-nighters. Everyone is working like a maniac. You've described your line as subversive. And as you're talking about that collection you did at Parsons with painting the obese body figures and having that be part of the, part of the fabric that the models would wear, clearly you have some thoughts yeah. on, <laughs> yeah. on women and fashion. Like, are you keeping these sociological, political, ideological things in mind as you are designing? Like, what are your thoughts that you're trying to express with your, with your designs? Well, when I started and I had no, um, when I was designing in school, I was 100% thought driven. And I was very much trying to make, uh, social statements with my designs because they were not, 
uh, required to sell. Unfortunately, I would say the thing that I regret the most or that I find the most challenging is that now my number one focus has to be what do I think people want to buy and wear, not what do I want to say creatively. So I've chosen a very commercial way to express myself artistically, and that does sometimes not cut it. Like I'm not satisfied by the fact that I have to just do this because I think it's what women want to wear. Not I, I would much rather make a bolder statement, but you can't really do that. Um, so I sometimes do feel like I have my hands tied. Even as a young independent designer, there's only so much you can say. You can only step so far out that box, only make so many political or social statements about women in the world before it starts to impact your sales or anyone wanting to have anything to do with your line. That's a reality. You have to navigate that. In school, absolutely make whatever statements you want to make. I was making all sorts of statements. My thesis was about, you know, violence against women, being that the women were now going to be the perpetrators of violence or like be the scary ones. Like it was, I liked dealing with things like that in the actual world in business. I don't deal with them so much. I do what I think is, um, I call it subversive femininity in the sense that it's the power of something like a head to toe pink suit. Like you don't have to look like a man to be powerful. You can be so feminine and it can be so aggressively feminine and so bold that that is the the power statement. Like you can walk into a room wearing a head to toe colorful suit and turn every head in that room. Now that's power. Who has the power? You do. You've got everyone's attention. That's what I like to design. So when I design clothes now, it's more so Can you see this woman coming from 30 feet away? Does she command attention and space? Do you get out of her way? Yes, absolutely. Is it incredibly approachable? Not really. None of these outfits say like, come talk to me. I'm sweet and nice. It's like, keep your distance. No, you know better than to bother me. That's the vibe I try and put out. So that's now how we work with it. But it is within a commercial context because I, you know, very quickly find out when I've done something that's a little too bold. People have no hesitation in telling me like, that's too much. That's too much. That's too much. And I find that incredibly annoying, but it happens a lot. You've been really lucky to have a lot of strong public-facing women. Yeah. Lady Gaga, Alicia Keys, Ariana Grande, Andra Day, where are your designs? Yeah. Who was the first celebrity, I'm making air quotes, uh, <laughs> to wear Victoria Hayes? The first celebrity was um, technically Ariana Grande uh, for one appearance, but... It- Andre Day and her stylist were the first people to really champion my brand. Andre Day wore an outfit of mine to present um, at uh, the International Day of the Girl for, with Michelle Obama at the White House. So she was standing next to Meryl Streep and Michelle Obama wearing head-to-toe Victoria Hayes. And this is with my first collection within 30 days of launching it. So that was quite nice. That was a huge press moment for I me. I imagine it was yeah, quite nice. That's a pretty big <laughs> placement what for an unknown brand. What did that mean to you? I mean, I was kind of in shock. At this point, I know what it is to get press credits. At that time, I didn't. I was just like, this is incredible. Wow. Like she's performing. Uh, Meryl Streep standing next to her. She's wearing my designs. Andrew Day is an incredibly talented performer, um, beautiful singer. I've met her. I since did an outfit for her for the Grammys, like a custom look for her. And so she was the first champion of the the brand, which is nice. Um, I've dressed a lot of really powerful women. Like we most recently, like Madonna kept some of my stuff. She, she wore in a music video and that was a huge thing for me because Madonna is like, for me, she's the top of the top of female power. Like she embodies female, female boldness to me, which I, I think is great. So a year in 2018, she was... You, you said in an article for Fashion Magazine that she is someone who you would love to wear. To dress, yeah. <laughs> and a year later, you can say, yeah, Madonna yeah. wore my stuff. Yeah, that was a, that's a big moment for me. That was a nice moment. Um, 
yeah, no, there's, there's, you know, that's something that I'll remember forever. That's something that I'm really proud of. I grew up listening to Madonna. Madonna is something that Madonna is someone that I've looked up to my whole life. And if it's good enough for Madonna, then it's plenty good enough for me. You know, like that's like, I'm proud of myself for that accomplishment. Um, does it make your business? No. Is it, is it going to make you a successful designer? No, not at all. It's more of a personal validation. That's more of like, as a human being, I'm happy that this happened. Um, and that's what it is. And I think we've dressed a lot of women where I'm, I'm just proud. Like they're bold. They do their thing. They can choose whatever they want in the world to wear. They can wear whatever they want. They have literally endless options and they chose for that day to wear something that I designed. And that's nice. I think you're touching on something so important that I think so many people can relate to, which is balancing something that validates you versus something that might push the growth of your business, mm -hmm. especially in, in our age of, you know, Instagram and, uh, visibility being such a big thing. Yeah. How do you navigate that? Well, or what are your thoughts on that? Even it's, it's challenging. It, it honestly is. Um, there's a lot of optics to what we do. A lot of this is, you know, great Instagram content gives the world the outward perception that you're doing incredibly well and does not actually materially impact your business. That's the reality of it. Um, marketing and PR and press are a big part of fashion. They always have been, they always will be. Whether they relate to buyers wanting to pick up your new clothing line or anyone caring who you are or what you're doing, there's not a direct connection there. Um, but as a young brand in today's world, you are responsible for overseeing your entire marketing and PR strategy, as well as garnering wholesale accounts or doing direct to consumer or whatever it is you're trying to do to sell. Like you're responsible for both. It's not like you can just focus on one or the other. So yeah, I am happy when we dress celebrities. I certainly pump it out on the Instagram. I'm in the Instagram. I'm doing the Instagram. I don't have a company working with me on that. Um, and then if it doesn't get a buyer to buy the line, then so be it. I also have to, you know, deal with that hurdle. And so I get these moments of tiny personal validation, but I, you know, you can't actually tell yourself that that is indicating that you're a great business person or anything. It's not, it's just like, be happy as a person that this woman that you admire liked something you wore. Now, back to the fact that you have to oversee production and you got it, like you work with your costs and this and that and like the next thing, like it's, they're two different worlds. It's, it's really a lot of smoke and mirrors. It's like a sign that you're on the right track, but it's not, not enough. It's not yeah. enough. It's not, that's not the work. The work is, yeah, the work all is, the, other is stuff. All, the work is the not fun stuff. The work is the stuff that you will never see on Instagram. And then that's, you know, and I've alluded to this before and it's kind of this little thing I say, but like oftentimes I will be posting something on Instagram, like with tears in my eyes because I'm just so upset about something. And it's like the only productive work you can do right now is to put out an Instagram post. Like I'm so happy about so-and-so because something else has really hit the fan and you're not going to know that, but like, here we are promoting ourselves on Instagram. Like everything is fine. It's not. Yeah. It's yeah. a currency we need to pay attention mm -hmm. to, but it's not the only it's not the only currency. No, and it's matters. not a, it's not an accurate depiction of reality. <laughs> yeah. You showed recently your spring summer 2020 at, at uh, New York fashion week. Yeah. I can only imagine what that must've meant to you to show like on that grand stage. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a huge thing. Nobody gets into fashion design because they want to do lookbooks. They want to do runway shows. 
that's the single driving force behind choosing this as a career, at least in my life. If I did not watch fashion television and watch runway shows growing up, I don't think I would be here doing this. It was all about the runway show. So um, while in today's day and age, it is sort of an antiquated marketing expense, um, it's clearly a life goal I wanted to accomplish. And then we had been lucky enough to be sponsored by Swarovski. And part of the sponsorship required that you officially present your work during New York Fashion Week, whether it be in a presentation or runway show capacity. But I decided to go full on runway show and make the best use of showing off these crystals we were given. And, and so we did a full show. And it's an incredibly, it's basically like designing a collection and planning a wedding. That's kind of what I was thinking it felt like, because you're inviting, you know, 450 plus people, you're casting 40 models, everybody's got to have the shoes, the hair, makeup, the DJ, the lights, the catering backstage, the it's a lot goes into what turned out to be an 18 minute show. It's crazy, isn't yeah. it? Like there's, I, I, I mean, as a lover of the fashion industry, I'm always fascinated by the paradoxes that mm -hmm. continue to exist because the industry moves and changes so much, yet the runway show really has not evolved enormously over right. the years, right? Or, or what it what it could bring to a brand. Every, I'd say everything else in the world has evolved and the runway show stayed the same. So once upon a time, the runway show was really important. Like even when I was at Parsons, there was no such thing as Instagram. You waited for those runway shows. You waited to see those photos of the shows up online. Like that was something you waited for. Now I see probably 15,000 images of fashion before 2 p.m. every day. I don't care about a runway show. Yeah, it's great that they happen, but if you're not there in the room to experience it, you're so inundated with photography and with imagery all the time. You don't really need to wait for the release of that thing anymore. But I get it when it, when they were, you know, the, the, in the 80s, a runway show was a huge deal. Same in the 90s. Oh, it's kind of like... special few got yeah, to go, right? Exactly. It was an event. It, was an, it really was an event. And now I think just it's, it's sort of social media, it's technology. This has sort of taken over. And so you have this brands still do try to create experiences. And I'd say that's what it is now. Now it's more of an experience. It's not really supposed to do anything except show, uh, a few people who you can invite what you're all about and give them a feeling and give them a vibe. And, you know, if you saw our collection playing with the soundtrack that was there, it's a totally different vibe than when you see it on hanging on a rack and only the 400 some odd people who were in the room got to experience that because I don't own the rights to that music. You're never going to feel it again, right? You're never going to see that again. That's what you're doing. You're, as a designer, you're trying, you know, the best way to show your work, you know, the context you want people to see and feel your work in. Um, but that's what a runway show is now. And it's just a few people who are lucky enough to try and do it. it, it it's really a huge expense. You could do a great campaign video and put it up on Instagram, right? For my fall collection prior, all we did was a, a one minute campaign video and the lookbook. And that's also a, a very direct to consumer way of showing what you're doing as a brand. We were talking about this a little bit before we we started recording about Zach Posen's closing in late 2019. I wonder if there's a new narrative being developed of what it means to be a fashion designer or what is the social significance of a fashion designer. It almost seems like sometimes there's a divide between designer and brand. Yeah. yeah. What do you think? I don't know. I Honestly, I'm in this and I'm so confused like I, it eludes me if there was an answer on how to become a successful fashion designer in 2019 or like 2020, I, I would do it. 
the fact is, is you can do everything right and still get it all wrong. You can do everything you're told to do and still fall flat on your face. You can be an exceptionally talented designer, which Zach Posen is, and still not have a six, uh, you know, commercially viable business. That's not fair. That's not right. That's just how it is. Um, it's a creative thing. It's a subjective thing. Nothing about fashion design is a science for everything that someone likes. There's a hundred people who hate it. That's just how it goes. And you're hoping that the right people like you at the right time. And it's so, you know, a brand is a bigger entity. It's no one's emotional baby in the same way that a fashion designer with the self-titled label, like my brand is my, it, it's too closely tethered to me. It hurts how much it's tethered to me. Okay. Like, it, you know, it's, if you your don't, name. it's me, it's me. Yeah. If you don't like it, it's like, it's like, you don't like me and that's hard to, to handle. But if I was one of, you know, 25 people working under some big corporation and, and I got to check out at 7 PM and you hated the brand I worked for, I'd be like, okay, whatever. But like, no, if you don't like my line and you don't like my designs, like, that's incredibly personal at this level. And so it's very challenging. It's very hard to deal with people, you know, come in and like reject it or insult it. Or like, I would have done this differently. I would have done that differently. That's bad. You suck. You're not on trend. You're totally missing the point. You're not of the now. You don't do streetwear, blah, 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 whatever I'm told. You know, it's hard not to internalize. I'm also, uh, you know, I'm 31 years old. I have been doing this for now going on three years. I don't know everything. I'm learning as I go and I don't have incredible resilience, uh, which you do need to be a fashion designer. I would say you need like truly belief in yourself that is foolproof. And that's hard to come by with creative people. What is the social significance of the fashion designer? Do you think what are their role in culture? You know, I don't even know. Back in the day, I would have said like the role of someone like Alexander McQueen was to literally change people's lives in the sense that I don't think I would be where I am had that man not existed. Had I not seen what he did, I wouldn't have rerouted the course of my own life. It was that powerful. It was like, because this exists and I've been lured in by it, and because this man's work exists and I've seen it on TV growing up, I now love fashion design. I don't even know if I'm any good at it, but I'm going to try because that's like, it's truly inspiring. I'd say the best case scenario, a fashion designer in today's world is maybe to inspire. Um, to provoke people into thinking a certain way, but we're also up against a lot of other forces that make people think that clothes are just really cheap and cheerful goods at this point. So I don't know that fashion designers as an entity are really going to combat fast fashion. If the world thinks they should buy t-shirts for $10, then I'm not going to come in and tell you that that clothing is an art form. I don't know if you're going to, going to believe me. I don't know if you want to hear from someone like me who thinks it's an art form. If you want to just buy all your stuff for, you know, under 20 bucks. I think talking, as you were talking about your 2020 collection and like taking up space, and I love how it's, it's got a streetwear vibe to it, but it's not, I wouldn't classify it as streetwear. Right. Like yeah. it's, you know, there's big skirts and there's a, a flow to it. Like it is it is really beautiful and strong. Like I think you are inspiring people to think (laughs) and pushing people to look at the world a different way. You can't look at those images of your collection and not kind of cock your head and say, Oh, well, what, how am I reacting to this? Thank you. I mean, it was my 2020 collection, Spring 2020, was based on on Space Jam, um, which is a movie I loved as a kid and played basketball for 10 years after watching. And That's then also awesome. um, inspired largely by the Raptors win, um, 
which was also like basketball was top of mind. And I had never done a sport referenced collection, but I often referenced my childhood or, you know, my adolescence in my work. So this was just a time period in my life where I know I was wearing men's Vince Carter Nike shocks. And I went back to that and it was like, how are we going to make this high fashion? And so there are everything from you know, the, the basketball shorts, the cargo pants. Um, Swarovski did a, a crystal basketball for me, which was really great. So I have this basketball covered in Swarovski crystals that went down the runway. And I, I mean, it is, it, it, it was designed for, as a runway collection. It's made to get attention. It's made to be glitzy. You're supposed to look at it. It's supposed to be fun. Okay. Like the, again, the driving force for spring 2020 was entertainment value. This should be entertaining to you. Whether you like it or not, you're going to look at it because you don't see a woman coming towards you in yellow vinyl pants and not look right? I'm going to get your attention. That's something I will say. I don't think I'm the most talented designer and I never will be, but I certainly know how to get attention, um, with designs. I know how to make color and fabrication and silhouette choices that are going to make you turn and look at them. That's what I like to do. So that's what I did for this show. Um, and I've had a lot of people tell us that they really liked it. And, you know, this, the image of, especially the basketball coming down the runway, you know, for me, that kind of went viral in the sense that it was viewed like over 30,000 times. And for us, that's a big number range. Um, for some brands, that's nothing, but you know, for me, that was a big deal. So it, it was nice. I mean, that was a, that was again, another life moment that I'll look back on and be like, yeah, you showed your work at New York Fashion Week. And when you were a little kid growing up in Toronto, watching these New York Fashion Week shows with Jeannie Becker on fashion television, that was like totally out of this world. I cannot like that was one of those moments where you have to check yourself and be like, you're here now. Like you used to watch this on TV and now it's you. Yeah, drink it in. Yeah, that was nice. What excites you about the fashion industry? <laughs> it depends the time of year. It depends what kind of mood I'm in, it, whether I'm excited at all by the fashion industry. Um, no, to be honest, I mean, it's very fluctuating. I, I will always love clothes, like clothes. It's all about the clothes. It's really about the designs. When I see something that I think is new and interesting, that's what excites me. The, the prospect of being able to wear something or picture what life might be like in that garment at, at a moment, like really, I sometimes refer to fashion as, as it allows you to kind of if, there, if there's a movie about your life and you're the star of the movie, what are you wearing in those scenes where you picture yourself? Well, we want to design those outfits. So when you're really thinking like there's a movie about me and, and I want to look amazing and feel amazing, that's what fashion is. It's like you need a costume for that. You need an outfit for that. Well, we want to provide that for you. Your alter ego, your best self, your aspirational self. That's what fashion excites me. That's the, the possibility inherent in it. Well, you're killing it. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. If people want to follow along and watch your designs come down the runway for the next season, where can they follow you? Where can um, they find the you? The best place to check us out is on Instagram at Victoria Hayes Collection. Um, and then our website is also victoriahayesnyc.com. And we uh, post everything up there. Amazing. You can follow the podcast at Fashion Talks Pod. You can follow me at This Is Donna B. Big thank you to CAFA, our producing partner in this podcast. You can find out more about CAFA at C A F A W A R D S. Until next time, I'm Donna Bishop, and this is Fashion Talks. Bye.